Hey everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Williams. And today, we're going to talk about the Middle East. And as everyone knows, without question, it has been dominating the news cycle as well it should, specifically Syria. But today, we're going to talk to a senior writer, Joseph Hammond from the American Media Institute, um, one of the best places to find investigative uh, journalism anywhere out there. They publish their pieces in uh, such wonderful publications as the U.S. News and World Report, USA Today, and of course the pages of NewstalkFlorida.com. Joseph has been in the uh, Middle East out there. He's been on the ground. He knows what's going on, and uh, he penned a very interesting piece which is called Trump and the Saudis are Becoming Fast Friends. And um, it approaches the U.S. and Saudi relationship, which has been frosty as of late. But it seems that things are getting better, and he's going to tell us why. Joseph, welcome to the Politically Incorrect podcast. What prompted you to write this piece, Trump and the Saudis are Becoming Fast Friends? Well, uh, you know, I think uh, it's no secret uh, that uh, U.S.-Saudi relations really deteriorated uh, in the Obama administration, um, you know, as a result of the signing of the nuclear agreement with Iran. Um, I was in Saudi Arabia in November uh, of last year, and there was a lot of concern from people there about the direction um, that the U.S. had taken. And there was perceived to be by the Saudis a tilt toward uh, Iran at the their expense um, and at the you know expense of the other Gulf allies, and at the same time, you know they felt they were playing um, a vital role uh, in the stability of the entire Middle East uh, by leading a coalition in Yemen that was fighting um, Iranian-backed uh, uh, Houthi rebels. And I think that what really interested me for writing this piece was uh, this op-ed that came out in Fox News by General Asari, who was one of the, the top, most influential uh, figures in the Saudi you know, MOD, where he basically says, we've got your back to the U.S., a very public embrace of U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East from the Saudis. You know, I, I think it's one of the most interesting aspects is that most people in this country don't really understand the Saudis' role in the Middle East. And... Um, I think what you do in this piece is, is lay out a very interesting um, – it's almost a primer, if you will, for those who don't know what's going on. Um, give us an idea of what uh, – why the, why the Saudis play such an important role in the Middle East. Well, you know, um, obviously as you know, traditionally the number one uh, oil exporting country uh, in the region of the world uh, that you know, produces the most oil. Uh, for export has given Saudi Arabia a tremendous amount of economic clout and economic power. Um, and, you know, that's been their, their role since they, you know, developed oil, uh, you know, in the mid to early 20th century. Uh, before that, they also had a rentier economy, which was their control of uh, Mecca and Medina, the two holiest places in Islam, um, you know, was not just a religious significance. You're also getting, um, you know, economic uh, rents from, you know, pilgrims who are coming there. Um, so when Saudi Arabia speaks on issues, 
Um, they have a certain amount of clout, both religious and economic, um, and they play a very influential role. Uh, and one of the main issues for them in recent decades has been countering the role of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Um, you know, they are the, we have seen a rivalry between the two countries, really, and that's played out, uh, you know, in Le- Lebanon. It's played out in Iraq. Um, and, uh, you know, it's played out in Syria, uh, obviously, where Iran supports the Assad regime. Um, and, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia has been very vocal um, in supporting the removal of Assad when Trump did his cruise missile strike recently uh, against the Assad regime to punish them for a chemical weapons attack on civilians. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia was, was very supportive and one of the most vocal supporters of the action um, taken by the um, Trump administration uh, in, in, in this regard. Um, and then, you know, uh, going back to the issues that uh, General Asseri was talking about in the op-ed, uh, Certainly, the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen um, is dealing with a group, the Houthi rebels, which are supported by uh, Iran, which overthrew the internationally recognized uh, government of Iran and which uh, the Trump administration um, is considering uh, ways to support that operation uh, going forward. So Saudi Arabia really plays an important role um, stabilizing the region, um, and they've really stepped up um, to the table for a number of reasons in recent years to try to play that role uh, in a more visible way. And I think this op-ed in Fox News from General Asseri uh, is the most visible uh, embrace of, of U.S., most public embrace of U.S. Uh, foreign policy goals uh, that we've seen from the Saudis in a long time. Joseph, what about the uh, situation, you know, you, you write about it uh, in Syria. Uh, how best can, as you see it, how, where does the where does the Trump administration go next in this situation with Syria? Well, you know, I think that uh, you know the priority will remain um, the fight against Daesh, uh, the the Islamic State, ISIL, many mm-hmm. names, same bad guy. Um, but I think that in the in the long term, um, and the Trump administration and Rex Tillerson uh, have all signaled this. You know, um, you know, one of the next steps. You know, Trump talked about this even on the campaign. Um, to set up safe zones in, in Syria where uh, refugees um, can go to to escape, you know, things like chemical weapons attacks, the barrel bombing that's going on by the Assad regime, just really indiscriminate attacks against civilians. Um, and these will be safe areas uh, that would be where these people can uh, receive humanitarian aid. We just had recently, a couple of days ago, um, you know, humanitarian convoy that was leaving one of the besieged areas in, in Syria. Um, that was attacked. Um, so there's a really a humanitarian concern. And I think Trump is, is, we saw with his response to chemical weapons, uh, concerned about this issue. So I think the creation of safe, safe zones uh, will add stability, will help people humanitarian. I think there's also a bigger uh, reason that the administration will pursue that, is that you know the uh, instability that's being created by Syrian refugees going into neighboring countries, um, yeah. be it Turkey, be it Jordan, and also into Europe. Um, if we can have the Syrians living uh, in, in a peaceful way, uh, refugees within their own country, uh, we can start to rebuild pockets of stability um, region by region, which is something that the Trump administration has talked about. Um, and eventually the end game is going to be, um, you know, uh, Assad stepping down and some sort of transition um, that will allow uh, Syria to become a more uh, stable place. Our guest is Joseph Hammond, uh, senior writer for the American Media Institute here on the Politically Incorrect podcast. 
You know, Joseph, you just mentioned uh, one of the hot-button situations of the week, and that, of course, is the elections in Turkey. Um, how do you see Turkey playing out in this uh, in this little uh, kabuki dance that we uh, are dealing with here in the Middle East? Well, you know, and it goes back to what I was just speaking about, that the, you know, humanitarian crisis where the majority of the Syrian people um, are either internally displaced, that's mean they've had to leave their homes within Syria, or have had to go abroad as refugees. And one of the main destinations uh, that they have gone abroad is Turkey. And this has um, exacerbated, uh, you know, politics within within Turkey um, and led to tensions there as well. I think that, uh, you know, President Erdogan, um, who won the referendum, which will give him um, increased, which will give him extended executive powers. Um, I think that uh, you know he has a clear role to play in helping the U.S. stabilize uh, Syria, especially northern Syria along the border. I think that the issue that the U.S. government will continue to face when dealing with Turkey um, is not you know tied to, specifically to Erdogan's domestic uh, policies. It's tied to um, the issue of the Kurds, and Turkey is very much concerned about you know groups like the PKK. Uh, which is a terrorist organization um, that's been fighting for an independent Kurdish state, and they worry that U.S.-supported groups in, in Syria um, have similar uh, objectives uh, in, in the long term. So Turkey, uh, you know, is, is definitely a U.S. NATO ally, but we have to be sensitive to, to Turkish concerns if we're going to get Turkish support for our policy objectives in Syria. So then um, the call to Erdogan from, uh, from Donald Trump, President Trump uh, the other day, um, you see as something that uh, really was important from a um, more of a global diplomatic side, since there are troops in um, the region, and as you say, they are a NATO ally. Yes, obviously, you know, we have the, uh, um, you know, Turkey has given us access to the Insular Air Base and uh, other logistical assets to support um, what we're doing, uh, not you know, not only in Syria, but also in Iraq and the struggle against uh, Daesh there and terrorism uh, in that country as well. So there are clear uh, logistical and tactical and military uh, benefits to, you know, maintaining a robust uh, U.S.-Turkish relationship. Right. And um, with regard to, I mean, this the fascinating part of the Middle East is the fact that we have some players that are there that um, the United States must keep uh, juggling with, but it does it does create a very fascinating balance, especially you know with what was what's going on uh, with Russia in the area and with uh, so many other uh, members of um, uh, you know the United States um, groups that we have to deal with. So uh, is there in your estimation, what might very well be the the next big um, flashpoint, if you will, in the Middle East? Uh, well, you know, I think that, uh, you know, going back to uh, General Assyri's op-ed in, in, in Fox News, which prompted my recent piece of uh, reporting, mm-hmm. I think that there's a, a huge... Um, uh, push uh, diplomatically uh, by the Saudis and the Emiratis and our Gulf allies um, to support a, a Saudi coalition-led uh, drive to capture Hodeidah, 
which is a very strategic port on the um, Red Sea. And mm-hmm. uh, this is something I'm going to do further reporting on. Now, uh, there's the reason that the, they want to capture this is we'll put further pressure on the Houthi rebels. And there's also a humanitarian reason as well is that um, right now we're going to see very likely this summer um, massive food shortages we're already seeing it to some extent um, in Yemen and, and South Sudan. And from a humanitarian perspective, control of that fort, uh, that port will allow um, supplies, humanitarian supplies, something like 90% of all of the food aid that used to go through Yemen um, mm-hmm. flow through that port because it's the only container port. But there's also something that is very strategic um, that's within, you know, the interest of the entire international community, frankly, is that um, the Houthi rebels and other Iranian-backed groups um, have been threatening those waterways. We saw the uh, missile attack on the U.S. cruiser, the suicide uh, boat, or um, if it was r- r- robot-controlled, there's some mm-hmm. uh, differentiation there in the reports on a Saudi frigate. We also had uh, last month a very underreported story that I think is, is potentially very important was that several Yemenis uh, sailors were killed trying to defuse a free-floating naval mine. And if we have free-floating naval mines that are being deployed by Iranian-supported actors uh, in the Bab el-Mandeb Strait, that's a very, very serious concern for U.S. strategic interests because U.S. traffic passes through there, our warships, as well as the fact that you have something on the order of uh, 4 million uh, barrels of oil uh, that pass through that uh, um, um, strait on a, on a regular basis. You know, I I think that the key, too, is that, as you say, um, those waterways are are very important. And uh, the fact that that you might be able to get that port and have the Saudis, uh, you know, do the the work to keep it uh, open would be phenomenal. Yes, uh, you know, there's, as I understand it, there's the, the only crane ports uh, in in Yemen. Um, the cranes are inoperative. They were been operative since uh, early in this uh, conflict, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Saudis and the Emiratis uh, have a plan um, to get those cranes up and running, and this will allow uh, more humanitarian aid uh, to to flow into Yemen. At the same time, um, like I said, it's going to reduce the ability of you know Iranian-supported actors to threaten uh, one of the world's most uh, important, you know, waterways, and uh, you know, it's 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 the U.S. as throughout its history has been a maritime power, it's been a trading power, and uh, mm-hmm. the free flow of and access to international waterways anywhere in the world is a serious concern if there's free floating mines and other potential hazards. Certainly, and obviously, you know, with what we're seeing in Syria and North Korea. Um, the ability for the United States Navy to be in uh, in able to get to where they need to be to support us is is crucial. And uh, having the Saudis on our side in that particular part of the world would be uh, a phenomenal uh, a phenomenal get if we can make that uh, if that indeed happens. Yeah, and uh, you know to tie in a little bit with the the North Korean. Uh, situation. Uh-huh. There was a report last year from South Korean intelligence uh, that was published by uh, Vice News that uh, the Scud missiles, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, I mean, one of the things that's, you know, not being reported as so much in the U.S. is it's not, the, the war, uh, the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen, um, they're also being attacked. Saudi Arabia itself is being attacked. In fact, while I was there in November uh, by Scud missiles, um, you know, which 
The mm-hmm. U.S. remembers from the 1991 Gulf War, which is a huge issue and, and led to sure. uh, U.S. casualties. Uh, Scud missile attacks on, on Saudi Arabia. And uh, like I was saying, uh, there's reports that according to South Korean intelligence that um, the supply of these and their parts have come from North Korean sources. So the North Koreans are helping the Iranians in this, um, in this skirmish against uh, the Saudis? I mean, yeah, or there's, I mean, that's one possibility. There's a possibility that was sold directly to, you know, uh, Yemeni, uh, to the Houthis and to mm-hmm. the former president of Yemen, Saleh. You know, he was in power for, you know, 30 years or so right. and uh, made a lot of friends. So, I mean, um, but that's the origin. I mean, it's unclear the direct, direct causality, but that's the mm-hmm. origin of these weapons. And the possibility of, of them you know, reining in on Saudi obviously is not uh, something that uh, the United States um, wants. And as you say, it's underreported, so it's not something that uh, we see on the evening news all the time. No, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting, and, you know, just like in 1991 when uh, Saddam Hussein was launching, you know, Scud missiles at um, – I mean, at Saudi Arabia, at Bahrain at one point, at Qatar as well. And, you know, one of those uh, missile strikes led to the largest U.S. loss loss of life in the first Gulf War um, because these uh, missiles have a very long range, up to 750 miles, and they can strike uh, in areas uh, that are underprotected and and not expecting it. And, you know, this could have an impact on, um, uh, you know, oil facilities and other things that are, you know, could have a direct impact on the stability of Saudi Arabia um, and also U.S. interests as well. Well, and the other thing, too, um, as memory serves, uh, the Scud missiles aren't particularly um, – um, they're not particularly good at getting you – know, right. at their targets. They, they sometimes right. can veer a little left and veer a little right, and, and that uh, puts um, a lot of um, – a lot of innocent bystanders in the um, in the way, as they say in the uh, military parlance, it's uh, collateral damage, which um, is a terrible situation. But that was also a problem during uh, the first Gulf War with the Scud missiles. Right, right. I mean, this is, I mean, you know, parts of this technology are date to the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, I think, you know, their maximum range is, is hundreds of miles, but uh, it can be, and the farther they have to go, the more, uh, inaccurate they are, right. um, you know. So it's interesting. On the one hand, uh, the Houthis uh, are launching Scud missiles. It's very inaccurate uh, missile, and the you know at the same time, the Saudi Arabia has really reached out to the United States um, to provide you know more accurate precision uh, missiles and ordnance uh, because their supplies are running quite frankly running low um, due to this extended uh, campaign they're having to uh, deal with in in, in Yemen. Joseph Hammond, the American Media Institute. Joseph, um, you wrote this piece, uh, Trump and the Saudis are fast becoming friends. Uh, Obviously, we'll have it up so that people can read it. Uh, How can people follow you on social media? Yes, my thank you so much. My my Twitter account is uh, at the Joseph H. Well, Joseph, we're going to get as many of uh, our Twitter followers to follow you as possible. Speaking of which, if you're not yet getting the Politically Incorrect podcast delivered to your email box or to your phone, that's easily enough resolved. As you know, you can listen to it right here on News Talk Florida, but if you want it sent to you, as we hope you do, all you have to do is go to Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, or Stitchers. 
We're happy to be part of the wonderful Stitchers family of outstanding podcasts, which includes some of the best political podcasts out there. So if you're not yet getting the Politically Incorrect podcast sent to your email address or to your phone, get us at Blog Talk Radio, get us at iTunes or at Stitchers, okay? We would like to thank our special guest, Joseph Hammond from the American Media Institute for joining us today. He's a senior writer over there, and you can follow all of Joseph's work as well as the other fine investigative journalists at the AmericanMediaInstitute.com. That's the AmericanMediaInstitute.com. So, for the aforementioned Joseph Hammond, I'm Jim Williams, your host of the Politically Incorrect Podcast, saying so long for now. 